Well, the Lord certainly did not delay in letting the Gentiles know they were part of his salvation promise. You know, of course, that a Gentile isn't a particular nationality. A Gentile is a non-Jew. So in that way of looking at it, there are only two categories, Jews and Gentiles. And of course, to the Jewish people who felt very protective of their their laws, their, their uh, dietary laws, their purification laws, their rituals. This was a very important distinction. And we know, of course, that Jesus himself was always loyal to his Jewish faith, observed the, uh, the Jewish customs completely, and, and, and certainly we know that uh, he, even as he was coming to bring salvation to all people, wanted very much to feel the powerful connection with the people of Israel. This is, of course, Matthew's story. We hear nothing from either Mark or John about the infancy of Jesus. But we also know that this account is different from the other evangelist who deals with the uh, with the. The, the uh, infancy narratives is what we refer to them as. And, uh, and of course, we have a, a dramatic difference in what takes place in this time immediately following the birth of Jesus in the stable of Bethlehem. We heard just last week in the Feast of the Holy Family the story of the presentation, Jesus being taken by Mary and Joseph to the temple, Mary and Joseph fulfilling their purification requirements, Jesus himself uh, circumcised, as was the custom on the eighth day for males, and Simeon, of course, making such an extraordinary fuss about him, and also Anna, the prophetess, both speaking of the greatness that awaited him. And then, as you remember, that passage concludes, and they return to Nazareth, and the child grew in wisdom and strength and grace. But ah, there's something more than that that Matthew knew about, but Luke did not. And it isn't, I think, any, uh, any weakening of the story itself that we have a contrast. It shows that it wasn't just one person who was re relating the events that took place. And I think we can probably imagine the two situations working out this way. We, of course, have the birth in the stable. We have the evening of the angels and the shepherds. We can assume that probably in that very crowded Bethlehem where the census was taking place, that the uh, arrangements that Mary and Joseph had to deliver the baby probably seemed plush. They had a cover over their head uh, with the stable that they were in, and there were probably many people packed near them, sleeping outdoors and such. And, and I think we can probably assume that there was a midwife or two that would have helped Mary with the delivery. And then after the shepherds return, there's much fuss being made about the baby. And it's probably likely that most of the days that would have led up to Jesus's uh, presentation in the temple would have taken place before, obviously, the flight to Egypt. 
in those eight days. And I would, I'm almost certain we can be confident that Joseph would not have gotten his vision in the dream to get the mother and the child to Egypt prior to the presentation. He wouldn't, even with the importance of the ritual, he would not have delayed for a second in getting uh, the child and his mother to safe ground. And, and so we can probably assume that after uh, the Magi received in the dream the warning not to go back to Herod, likely the very night of the presentation, before Mary and Joseph were to head back to, uh, to Nazareth, that's when Joseph gets his dream, to get Mary and Jesus to Egypt. And we know, of course, that, uh, uh, that Herod's soldiers barely miss getting Jesus. We know that in his fury, uh, Herod, it always gets me, he's called Herod the Great because of his uh, work with the aqueduct system there, but this was Herod the most evil. And the slaughter of the innocents, all of the two-year-old males in Bethlehem or younger killed. And Mary and Joseph and Jesus, under the cover of darkness, do get themselves to Egypt, spend seven years there before they eventually do return to Nazareth. And that's where the two stories uh, catch up with one another. Jesus indeed grows in wisdom and strength and grace. Just finished watching a movie. I think I might have told you about it recently, but it's called The Young Messiah. It came out about three years ago. Very fascinating. If you get a chance to watch it, it tells the story of the seven-year-old Jesus, and they're just finishing up their time in uh, Egypt, and they are returning to Israel, and you realize, and I, I think this story told is very correct, that uh, Jesus was in peril from the first moment he set foot back in Israel. I kind of, I think, growing up, just figured, well, once Herod had died, Jesus was seven, well, everything's all clear. But I don't think that was the case at all, that he was in peril and they wanted to find this, this amazing child and all of that. So in any case, uh, we have the story, the infancy narratives uh, continue. We know that the only one of the stories still remaining is the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. That comes uh, during the Feast of the Holy Family next year. But in any case, uh, we reflect upon all of the events of this time, all of the things that Mary and Joseph had to endure, this courageous young Bedouin couple called upon to make so many decisions, occasionally assisted by an angel, but very rarely they had to do things on their own. And we give them great credit and we rejoice on this day that we are promised as Gentiles in the salvation of the Lord and recognize as we continue our church year in ordinary time, we will recognize the things that Jesus said and did that made that recognition such a treasure.